The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. With a tap and a rap, two different stories get told. The one of a girl who gave up her humanity to save Jonah. Her name, Maggie. The other seems rushed, thrown together and she desperately wants to come in. While the boys seem to be endlessly discussing their and Jonah's next move. Before we begin, I do need to remind you that this podcast can contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and most certainly naughty, naughty language. Now, with a rap and a tap of our own, let us emerge ourselves into the shroud of darkness while enjoying a hot beverage as we grab some popcorn, our tentacles, and sit forth once more into Tentacle Tuesday and Chapter 15, A Growing Urgency. <laughs> Terrence White sat in his office with a stack of books piled on his desk. He looked more like an old professor than a retired demon hunter and a member of the Sacred Dawn. He put aside the letter he had received from Caitlin Maxwell. It had been eight years since they parted ways, and now she was a mother of three. That thought made him smile. It was rare that any of them had a chance to retire or even become a parent, especially with the risks involved. But she had managed to pull it off. Leaning back and sipping on some coffee, he nearly fell back and out of his chair when he heard a rap at his window. Maggie. He wasn't expecting her. Ever since she had begun her rehabilitation, she seemed to take delight in surprising him at the most inopportune moments. Putting the coffee on his desk, he walked over to the window and opened it. The crow flew in and he resecured the window behind him. As he did so, the light in the room fluctuated as an amorous glow and feathers filled the room swirling until they formed into a woman with jet black hair and eyes that now stood before him. This playing messenger is getting old, she scoffed. It's better than the alternative. If you say so, Maggie said, catching her reflection in the glass of the hutch. Her crow feathers had wrapped around her like a dress. It was still something she was getting used to. She hadn't been able to take human form in almost ten years. Wasn't expecting you. Terrence said. I figured, she said with a half grin. I must admit, watching you nearly jump out of your skin helps keep me, well, entertained. Oh, is that coffee? She asked as she plopped down into one of his leather chairs. Yes, shall I pour you a? But she had already grabbed his cup and downed it. Sighing, he grabbed the second cup and refilled hers. He returned his seat and leaned back. So, what news do you bring me? She's gotten involved. Terrence put down his cup. The girl in the garden? The one and the same. Really? It was not only rare, but this meant they were at a critical junction. The last time she acted was when she offered Mr. Alistair a chance at salvation. Does Jonah know? No. I see. Terrence closed the book on his desk and finished his cup. Is that all that brings you here? No, she said again. Apparently, Cassandra is also involved. I know, Terence responded. You know, she half growled. Yes. Why didn't you tell me? 
because I was worried that the desire for revenge would overtake you. You people need to start trusting me. The lights dimmed, and again an amorous light and feathers filled the room. Maggie! The crow shot him an evil eye from on top of the leather seat. If Cassandra gets a whiff of you, she will do everything she can in her power to destroy you. Maggie cocked her head, as if to say, I know, I'm not stupid. Terrence opened the window, and once more Maggie took to the skies. She couldn't deny she was hurt. Hurt that Terrence didn't trust her yet. But she was also no fool. She had only regained her ability to become human recently. To go and face her now, that would be... A melody floated across the wind that froze her blood. No, she thought. That can't be. But no one else would know that tune. And the scent that accompanied it. There was no mistaking who it was. Damn it! Especially after she just got done telling Terrence she wouldn't go near Montgomery. Now, now she would have no choice if she didn't go. Sorry, Director White, she thought to herself. If she doesn't go... Jonah, this man Warren, and in truth all Montgomery would soon be in grave danger. So what do you have planned? The mayor asked. Well, I can't tell you all the details, Jonah said. I... Jonah paused, and then remembering the apostle. Chief Reynolds, do you still have that tool Detective Moran took from me? Yes, give me a minute. He dug through his desk drawer. I was supposed to have put this in the evidence locker... But because of everything that transpired, I got distracted. He handed him the silver object. What is it? It's an apostle. Apostle? Yes, and there are twelve of them. The eleven I currently hold, and the twelfth Detective Moran had gone to retrieve. How do they work? Chief Reynolds pursued. He was more than curious about it. Between Jonah's strange powers, the mention of Uriel the Archangel, and this demonic entity... He was immersed. They used the currents of creation to form a barrier, a very powerful one, since they draw on the original words spoken by Aldone, Jonas stated. And what if they've taken the one you've left behind? Warren asked. That's highly unlikely. Touching one of them would be like me pouring gasoline on your skin and lighting a match, Jonas said. So, by adding these eleven, the chief began to ponder. Yes. We can set up a barrier to hold the beast inside, Jonah finished his thought. Then why do you need us? the doctor wondered. How many gospels are there? Jonah asked. Four, the doctor replied. And how many in your little group? Jonah pursued. Four, then the doctor understood. Precisely, Jonah said. Each of you will hold a marker that correlates to one of the four gospels. That will increase the intensity of the barrier and allow me to draw the beast to me. Detective Stevens then pressed. And what if you're wrong and they've managed to remove your marker? What then? Did the word still manage with just eleven apostles? Jonah pointed out. Yes, but no offense, you're not him, Warren chided. True enough, Detective. Nevertheless, I will still need to try, Jonah replied. The room went quiet once more. So, when, the doctor said, breaking the quiet and putting forth the obvious elephant in the room. Today, and by today I mean tonight, Jonah insisted. No training? No instruction? The mayor interjected. 
None. Good gravy! You're really putting a lot on us! The mayor objected. I understand your concerns, Mr. Mayor, but time isn't on our side. If we wait beyond tonight, there will be a new moon, and that is the height of her power. Her? You said we were dealing with a demon, Warren questioned. Yes, we are, confirmed Jonah. So, who is her? He pressed. This isn't like a Harry Potter or Lovecraft story, Mr. Hollander. You can say her name, right? Yes, he replied. I just prefer not to. She is an evil born of Ekmalak. She goes by the name the Lady Cassandra to give herself an air of title. Royalty. But she is nothing more than the mother of things, Jonas stated. An opposite of the Holy Mother, the chief mumbled. It's a good way to look at it, Chief Reynolds. While Mary said yes and salvation came through her, Cassandra uses sex and corruption to twist creation to destroy it. She is an exact opposite. I saw a woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet, Chief quoted from Revelations. Now you're getting the picture, Chief Reynolds. You would have made an excellent member of the Order. No moon, no mother of God to interfere. Of course, that's how they perceive it. The truth is, his power doesn't need the moon or the stars. If he needed his mother to act, it would be so. It is only their twisted belief that gives them more power. But as twisted as it is, it does create their reality. If we wait, they will move and your town will suffer. What time is it? The chief demanded. 1425. Good. Let's all get some sleep. I don't like the idea of going back there at night. But I don't want to go back there tired either. That won't help us. At that, they adjourned. As the day moved forward and night fell upon the city, another pair of eyes watched the city of Montgomery closely. It seemed familiar to her, but she wasn't sure how. In fact, she wasn't sure of anything except that she was cold. She looked at her bare feet in the snow and the surrounding fields. The slither of moon was such a stark contrast to the dark of the sky and how it illuminated everything and seemed to make the whole world glisten. The wind picked up and tore through her tattered garments, making her shiver. A lone house sat on the edge of the field and the dimly lit rooms acted like a beacon. Stepping forward towards it, the snow felt like glass under her bare feet and they were growing numb from the cold. Inside her, the urge to get inside where it was warm now grew into more than obsession. Something else was driving her. She had to get inside. That was what she was sent here to do. Get inside and... She started humming. As she moved forward nearer, she finally made it to the back of the door and placed her face against it. With that, she caught the reflection of a small girl staring back at her. She had pale skin and a nasty scar ran across her neck as well as similar ones on her arms and legs. She wore a white t-shirt that hung off her shoulders and down to her upper thighs. Beyond that, she was naked. She traced a mark on her neck, arms and legs. She had the look of someone who had been stitched back together. Who am I? She thought. The wind picked up again, pushing her forward, and without thinking, she found herself rapping on the glass. She heard the ruffle of blankets and a soft, pleasant... Who's there? A different silhouette filled the area behind the curtains, covering the patio door. 
A moment later, Karen pushed back the curtains to see the pale little girl staring inside. Oh my, she said, sliding the glass door open. The frightened little girl, unsure of what to do, stumbled back into the snow. She looked up at Karen with wild, dark, sad eyes. Karen's motherly instincts immediately kicked in and she rushed into the cold, grabbing a large blanket off the rocking chair near a cradle. As Karen pulled the small child to her, she was struck about how cold she was. You must be freezing to death. Who are you? But the little girl said nothing. She just looked at her with a stunned amazement as her arms wrapped around her. They were warm, a warmth she hadn't felt in a long, long time. But who was that? The marks, the scars on the girl's neck and arms and legs concerned Karen greatly. It's going to be okay, Karen assured the girl as she slowly began to lift the child and walk her back to the house. That was when a crow landed between her and the back door. It gave off a nasty caw and for some strange reason, it truly frightened Karen. Shoo, Karen called after it. Can't you see I'm trying to help someone? But the crow didn't move. It stubbornly kept itself between Karen and the back door. Karen placed the girl back down. Don't fret. I'll chase away the nasty bird, and then I'll make you a hot bath and some soup. Karen began to move forward, rushing the crow. Get away! But the crow flew up and over her head and into the face of the little girl. Oh my god! Karen let out a scream as it seemed to peck at the little girl, who did not run, did not scream. Instead gave the crow a deep evil grin. Hello, sister, she remarked, and that was when Karen felt the baby kick. Jack was coming. Timing. Everything seems to be about timing. As baby Jack decides, now is a good time to be born. But is it? With the new moon arriving, a crow cawing and a demon flourishing somewhere in the darkness will head into chapter 16, a costly delay. <laughs>